0: Good afternoon, everybody.
1: Hi, everybody. Yes, it's afternoon now. It's official. It's 12.02. That's right. So, yeah. And you know what? Today's Tuesday.
0: Today's Tuesday. As opposed to yesterday <laughs> when he thought it was Tuesday. Yeah, today but... <laughs> it actually is
1: Tuesday. And it's, a, it's... It's beautiful. The big the big post-birthday day.
0: The big post-birthday day.
1: <laughs> Betty's still got presents coming in because of the snow. ice held uh, things up. Right, hon? Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, So, anyway, hope y'all are wonderful, beautiful day out, sun's out.
0: Gorgeous out, and yep, and I'm going to tell people, we we did sneak out last night for just a very short bit. Yes. Our friends at Gloria's put us in a a, a nice little table that was, we were really socially distanced from pretty much everybody. We could see the crowd across the room, (laughs) (laughs) but... And I got to have my birthday margarita. Yeah. But we're kind of coming out of... Yes. We're kind of getting
1: back to because normal. Because it's
0: about, it's almost now two weeks since Scott had his the second booster. Oh,
1: man, second so booster. I'm
0: hoping to get mine soon. I begged and pleaded They give that to really
1: old, old people, don't well, they? Well,
0: they give it to people who, <laughs> no, no, no,
1: you no, know, yeah. are going Whatever. through
0: various things. things and yeah. and I begged, I begged and pleaded. There was nobody there when they he said, got no, that shot. They said, no, you're
1: too young, you're too pretty.
0: Oh, they did not say that. But they, no, 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 you're, you're not ready for it yet. I'm like, okay, I got the booster the same day. He did. But, no. So, anyway, as soon as I can get it, I'm going to get it just because. Just because. Just because. We, that's
1: what we do. That's, that's how what, we roll. Yep.
0: Yep. We're around a lot of people most weeks. So, um, anything we, are. we can do to.
1: We're social animals. Oh, yes. That's us. <laughs> Six so.
0: out of seven nights you can find us watching TV in our living room.
1: Having and through fun. COVID,
0: it was seven out of seven yeah. nights. So.
1: But nobody could watch it with us. That's the thing. We would they don't understand that, that nobody crazy. could watch it with us. Because oh my
0: gosh. we're
1: stopping to chat about it we every do. seven minutes.
0: We do. We have to like, what? Did you just see that? Oh my. That.
1: What? What movie was that person in?
0: <laughs> Look that up. <laughs> That's a favorite of ours. We know him. Huh. He was in something else. Huh. Yeah. And then I've got to get out the iPad and, you know, oh, guess who he was in, you know? And yes. Yes, yes. So That's our world. That's our is, life. It's a good life. And we like it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whatever.
0: But we're so glad you're here with us today. And just in case you forgot yesterday or weren't available yesterday. Yesterday, Scott started his very first class in the book of Isaiah, and it's the very first time he has done this. And I can tell you, living with him, you know, every day, he has put a lot of work into getting prepared for Isaiah. So you can actually go back online on YouTube or-
1: Or Facebook Live. Facebook Live. My YouTube channel, or listen to the audio podcast all the all the links are at scottangle.org just go to the classes page all the links are right there at the top yes, of the page
0: and get caught up which i have to do later because i had to leave the class early yesterday you, for you had a meeting to work on at, you had to work on your own for meeting up in saint andrew but um i'm i'm gonna listen to the rest of it today so that i'm all caught up for next monday and i heard from a few people but you were really on yesterday, so that's well, a good sure, thing. Of yeah, course, of course, yes. yeah. Okay, now <laughs> okay. we're making you all like...
1: Yeah, gag. Gagging. We're ready to get going. Yes,
0: so please pray. Okay, pray.
1: let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be gathered here today. It's a beautiful day. We're grateful for the warmth and the sun, and we are grateful that we have the opportunity to come together to study John's gospel. And we're coming to a section where Jesus has a lot to say. And just help us to hear him well, help us, help us to 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 grasp um, Jesus's message, his larger message, in these next few chapters as we get closer and closer to um, uh, the the moment of his glorification, his crucifixion, uh, and resurrection. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. You okay. know what's going to happen on Sunday. What's that? Very soon our Sunday preaching series is going to catch up to where we are now.: Yes, in the that book of is John. what's going to happen. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm.
1: because we're going to soon start Lent and Lent's going to bring us all the way inexorably close right up there. so I think we'll be past all that in John's gospel by then. but you know, who knows? I always find it hard to know predict the pace at which we will be doing any of this. All right, everybody. Well, I'm so glad y'all are here today.
0: We're rather week one. It was awesome. I really enjoyed Oh, Oh, okay. I'm so glad, Susan. I'm so glad you said that. I had a friend call me yesterday and said, I don't know what Scott ate yesterday, but he was really on. So that was kind of a funny thing. So I'm so glad that it, you enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm excited about going back and listening to it today.
1: I see that Yvonne Hayes is recommending Jack Reacher on Amazon Prime. Well, I've read all the Jack Reacher books. I was introduced to them by my doctor. And um, so, we have been watching the Jack Reacher series on Prime. And they actually got an actor who looks like Jack Reacher would is portrayed in the books. And let me tell you, you should have seen Patty the first time the actor, who's playing Jack Reacher, took his shirt off in the show. She just about lost it. That's all I'm going to say. She oh. just about lost it.
0: Ladies, I thought he was Photoshopped. I truly could not believe that this was a real person. Personally, like, I
1: thought he looked a lot like me. But He did.
0: So similar to Scott. That may be why. But really, um, you know, it's kind of a guy series. But I do have a girlfriend that's read every single book, and she absolutely loves it. But um, if you kind of, it's, you know, Jack Reacher's just a...
1: He's a doer of right. He
0: is. He That's is. what he is. Um, kind of reminds me a little <laughs> bit back in the day, back in like probably the late 80s or early 90s, I used to watch a show called The Equalizer. And it's kind of like that. He's trying to set bad things right. And its it's been thoroughly enjoyable. We're almost through with it.
1: And speaking of bad things, we're going to talk... We're going to begin with Judas's betrayal of Jesus. How was that for a segue? That so, was so good. That was
0: just to get me to stop talking about that actor who plays Jack Reacher. I know I Get just, your mind back where yes, it should be.
1: Back
0: on the Bible stuff. So
1: let's go to John chapter 13, verse 18. We went a little ways into this last week, but we need to start back at 13 because what Jesus does is he predicts his betrayal. He knows what's going to happen. He predicts it. And one thing to look for is how much Jesus is in control of events. And the thing to ask yourself as we begin this next section of John's Gospel is, who is the clash between? Is it really between Jesus and Judas? That's what we'll we'll be looking for. So, verse 18. I am not referring to all of you, Jesus says. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who has shared my bread has turned against me. Um, that is from a psalm. It is about sharing bread with somebody who later betrays you. And it's thought that it's talking about Absalom and David, because Absalom obviously betrayed his father, David. Um, so that's where that little phrase comes from from a psalm. The who has shared my bread has turned against me. Verse 19. So Jesus says, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen you will believe that I am who I am. Okay, big choice of words there at the end. I am who I am, right? That is the name of God. It's not an accident. Jesus is identifying himself with God as God Um, As I say so many times, those who think that Jesus never claims to be God in the Gospels just don't know the Gospels well enough. Okay, And so he's saying, I'm telling you what's coming so that it will further add to your confidence about who I am, that I am who I am, so that you will trust that I am who I am. Very truly, the double amen again. Amen, amen, it is in the Greek. Amen, amen. I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Because this is all about this, this, how can I put it? It, Just like this chain, the, the Father to Jesus to the disciples, and they are all bound together. You are bound to Jesus. You are bound to the Father. What the Father does, Jesus does. What Jesus does, we are to do. Right? So, verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Why? Because he's about to be betrayed by someone who has has been with him for two, two and a half years. Judas is one of the twelve. Judas is one of the disciples who's walked alongside Jesus all this time. And now he is betraying Jesus. And that would be like the worst, right? That's just like the worst. To be betrayed by someone you trust, someone you love. It just doesn't really get worse than that in life, I don't think. So of course Jesus is troubled in spirit. It hurts. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, Amen, Amen, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Well, his disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, Unnamed, probably John who writes this. A lot of scholars think it's John, the son of Zebedee. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to Jesus. So remember, you had the, um, they're all on these benches reclining on them deep. We talked about this last week in in probably a U-shaped pattern. So there's a limited room up by Jesus. So the disciple whom Jesus loved is reclining next to Jesus, and Simon, who's a little further away and can't ask the question to Jesus directly, motioned to this disciple, and he said to him, Ask him which one he means. So Simon, kind of kind of the leader of the group in a way, um, says, Ask him which one he means. So leaning back against Jesus... He, the disciple whom Jesus loved, asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Jesus is the mover of the events. Jesus is the one with the initiative. Jesus is the one in charge. Jesus is the authority. He knows what's in, He knows what's in Judas's heart. He knows that Judas is going to betray him, but it's Jesus who's moving things along, because he is Jesus. Verse 27, and as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And, and, and I think John, the gospel writer, intends us to understand this as some form of possession of Judas. It doesn't make Judas less responsible. He's already decided what he's going to do. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of ways to think about, about this. Satan tempts people Temps, tempts 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 there's and we can give ourselves over temp- to temptation we can allow someone to to take to take control of us and shape all of our thoughts and all of our emotions it happens a lot it's a subject of books and movies galore where people are in essence possessed by another and they do things they would never have imagined that they could do right sometimes this will happen where people get caught up in 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 crimes that you could never have imagined them doing but they get caught, they get in essence possessed by the person who is taking the lead and the initiative in this but anyway as soon as Judas took this satan entered into him and what does that tell you that the clash here is is not really between Jesus and Judas this is a cosmic clash this is a cosmic event this is Jesus Jesus the only begotten son of god and and Satan and this is the only time Satan is named Satan in John's Gospel. Um, otherwise, he's called the devil. This now he now he gets this name Satan, the accuser, Ha Satan in the Old Testament. And um,
0: wow, that is the only time? only time
1: in John's Gospel that Satan is named oh. as Satan. I bet if we add it up in the Gospels, he is called the devil more often than he's called Satan. My guess. don't know. But I do know, because I just recently read it, <laughs> by somebody I trust, that this is the only time he's referred to as Satan. Okay, so, who is Satan? Satan is one of God's creatures. There is an order of spiritual beings. Some are called angels, some are called demons. Angels have chosen to work for God. Demons have chosen to work against God. Satan is sort of the leader of the pack. Is he divine? No. Is he human? No. Is he a personal being with a will and purposes? Yes. Right? And um, Satan is working against God's purposes here. And what, what what is the irony? What is the irony about Satan... Tempting Judas all the way to betraying Jesus, and and betraying Jesus to the cross. Satan may think that the cross will be Jesus's end. Right, right, yeah. and for a a little bit of time, it looks like Satan's right because Jesus is crucified on Friday. But what does Satan learn on Sunday? Oh no. Satan is putting, Satan by, by tempting Judas is playing his part in Satan's ruin because the cross is where God's victory over sin and death and Satan is won. Yeah, wow. like wow, deep irony there.
0: You know, just thinking really quickly here that Judas, yeah. of course, is just the one person, this one person with this weakness who does this. Um I wonder if Jesus would feel that um the Jewish leaders said if that Satan had entered the Jewish leaders who were trying to have him killed because
1: I I think Jesus well, that's never said about any of that and I think Jesus
0: but they're the ones who try to
1: they're the, because being Satan might tempt them, but they have lots of their own reasons for ignoring Jesus. They like their power. They like their wealth. They like their status. They like to go up and down the streets and have everybody go ooh and ah as they walk by. They love all of that. Of course they do. It's 2021. People still love all that kind of thing, right? We have, you know... I mean, America has a problem with celebrity preachers. I was so, Arthur was so funny in a meeting recently. He said, you know, Becky told him, nope, they are never going up on a billboard. (laughs) I thought, that is great, because the last thing we need are celebrity preachers. That is just like an ox, that should be like an oxymoron. Those two words should not go together. Because it tempts us. It tempts us. Right? Satan has lots of ways of working on us. And wealth and power and recognition and all that stuff are about as attractive to people as you're going to imagine anything could be. Right? So, in any event, um, I'm not going to say Satan had, doesn't do his work on some of the Jewish leaders, but but they love they love what they have. Right? That's in the parables all the time. When Jesus is talking about prayer, he says, I don't be like those hypocrites. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the Pharisees, the priests who like to walk down the street and have everybody ooh and ah and see how what a good prayer they are. They like to give their alms so everybody can see what they're doing. Ah. Nope. Not Jesus' way. The world's way. Still the world's way. So... Verse 27, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. See, Jesus is running the events here. It is Jesus who is in charge, not, not Satan, not Judas. It's Jesus who is in charge. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the mill understood why Jesus said this to him. Of course not. <laughs> These disciples, they're just regular people. Right? They're f- they're middle class business people having spent their lives, a lot of them spent their lives on little boats up in the Sea of Galilee fishing. You know, that's why I so often when I read the Gospels, I come to places where the disciples are blind or confused and I just, I just, I don't know. I like to picture Jesus You know, yeah, yeah, getting them on track but loving them and smiling because he just knows. He just he just knows that that really grasping all of this if Nicodemus couldn't grasp it, John three how, how, could, how could these disciples, yes they walk with Jesus, but they process it through the worldview that they have. Well, that's what we do with everything. We process it through the worldview that we have. So Nicodemus can't understand it. The disciples can't understand it. No one at the mill understood why Jesus said this to them. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festo- festival for Passover because they got like a week to go that starts on uh, Friday, I think, the next day, yes, or to give something to the poor, okay, all good. Well, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. And the night it is, is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And so now, in fourteen and fifteen and even sixteen, we're going to have. If you have a red letter Bible, there's a lot of red print, because most of it is Jesus talking with his disciples. Okay. So um, let's go. John thirteen thirty one. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, "Now." The Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself and will glorify Him at once. Well, that's a lot of glorification words, isn't it? And so what is it about? It is about that we are here at the time of the cross. And Jesus' crucifixion will be to the glory of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It tells you who God is. So many people don't understand who God is. Lauren Gerlach, down at seminary, actually had a fellow seminary student said, well, you know, God is... God. We're just kind of like the ant farm that God picks up and shakes to see what we'll do. Lauren was appalled. I was appalled. I wondered what that woman was doing in seminary. But... No, God loves us. God loves us so much that he's willing for his own son to be crucified. Right? Because there's there's different ways to understand the suffering of the cross. There is Jesus' suffering, but then there's the suffering of the Father. And those who would suggest theologically that God cannot suffer, I think, are all wet. I think they're, uh, yes. You can work out theological reasons why that might be, but not biblical reasons. God enters into the suffering in this world. It's what makes the suffering in this world bearable. God isn't aloof and distant, some sort of absentee landlord. God, in God's being, has experienced suffering and loss. That doesn't make God less than God. It makes God far more than the first mover of Plato and Aristotle. That, you know, yes, that is, the more, the more, the longer I do this, the more I believe the truth of that. So that's what verses 31 and 32 are all about. It is is that everybody's gonna see, they don't think they're gonna see, The truth of it's only going to become clear with the resurrection, but yes they are going to see in in just a matter of days who God really is. So Jesus then says in chapter third chapter verse thirty three, my children, his disciples, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, these are the people, the crowds, obviously these people are all Jews, so he means the crowds, the Jewish leaders perhaps, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. And then he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is pretty simple, isn't it, it, Patty?
0: It's very simple.
1: Very simple. Very straightforward. What should characterize every Christian heart and every Christian community on this planet? Love. Not just as a feeling. Not even primarily as a feeling. But in how in how we how we act, what we do, are we kind? Are we compassionate? Do we help? Do we serve? Um, that's what that's what love is in a good marriage. That's what love is as a Christian, and that is that's the mark of the Christian. Jesus says it plainly. He gets it right. Fits exactly with his answer to the fellow who asked him, well, what's the great, greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6. Love your neighbor as yourself is like unto it. Leviticus 19, sure. It fits with John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It agreed, First John, five times in 1 John, John writes, god is love it fits with the christian understanding of god's very being that god is father son and holy spirit this community of three persons somehow some way constituting this triune god this community of love yes god is inherently relational we are inherently relational. So you can circle that verse 34. You know, That's a big verse. Yes, last Patty. Last night
0: I, I was on the internet and I found that interesting article that I read a little bit of to you and that I sent you the rest of it because it was so long. Yes. The one uh, Christian article. You know, well, uh, it in, was
1: by David Brooks David at the New Brooks York Times. Yes. York Times. Thoughtful and writer.
0: This is the one song that they had reference to. They'll know we are Christians by our love.
1: By our love. that we could, we could hum it. Hum yes. Along. yes. Yes. Well, they will know we are Christians by our love. Yeah. John chapter 13, verse 34. It's just, Jesus just lays it out, and I don't, you know, we Christians, we just need to understand this. And it doesn't do any good to simply say, oh, well, we're just sinners. No. That's not the instant fallback. <laughs> we should be falling forward, not falling back. We should be striving to be people of love every day in every way.
0: Scott, you have a comment um, by Sharon Joyce. She is wondering, in this context, does love mean affection? I can love someone in that I would not see harm come to them, but I certainly feel no affection for them.
1: Good question, Sharon, and no, it does not mean affection. The verb here is the word love, agape, agape, agapeo in the Greek here. It is, it's kind of a, in the Greek, it was kind of a colorless word. It didn't have a lot of content. It wasn't like philio, like Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. It wasn't like eros, which means sort of love of an object. It was kind of a word that you needed to fill with content from the context. And across the New Testament, it is a word used for love because the content that the Christian, that the New Testament writers, John and all the rest, Jesus, the whole bunch, is focused on what you do, not what you feel. So it's it's not primarily affection do i think that affection can follow as you do the loving thing toward somebody yes i think that's a way to build affection toward one i've 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 told people who've come to me and said i'm having i just don't love my wife the way i used to and i don't know i don't think we're going to make it and when you know and so i one thing i say to them is just go and do the things that you would do if you felt the way that you want to feel. And I will tell you, that is pretty darn good advice. The doing can lead to the feeling. So, But love here is not, Jesus is not talking about affection. He's talking about, we'll, we'll see in a minute, he's talking about works. He's talking about what we do for others. Right? Are we kind? Are we compassionate? Do we feed the hungry, do we heal the sick, do we, do we um, put a coat on the person who's freezing. All of these ministries that we do to try to be helpful in this world, this Judeo-Christian ethic which created um, this entire sense among people that, that, that we should care for one another, that didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of 2,000 years worth of Christianity. This idea that we should take care of one another—nobody, in, nobody in Jesus's world, nobody in the Roman world. The Jews did, but nobody in the Roman world. There was no Roman government wondering how can I make sure people are all fed, unless they needed to do it to keep the peace. That would be the reason, because starving people are hard to control. But out of the sort of the goodness of your heart, people sitting by the bedside of people they don't know—no, it didn't happen. Christians created that, so. Good question, Sharon. It's not affection. It's what you do. It's what you do, do, do. Okay. So let's just hear it again. Verse 34, a new command I give you to love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You should maybe... Try to find that David Brooks article. I can't find. It's probably behind the paywall at the New York Times. But he talks about the divisions in the church. We can be divided because we read Scripture differently in ways that aren't essential to the faith, but we still have to reach across those divides and love one another. I know the Pope and I would disagree about some things. But we still are called by Christ to love each other. That's right. Right? Yeah.
0: Brenda and, just put there like we as individuals do uh, for our love and passion for serving at the storehouse. Exactly. You're serving people you've never met before. You don't exactly right?
1: That exactly. The,
0: Mona says my study Bible address love as follows. Our standard is Christ's love for us. Love is the distinguishing mark of Christ's followers.
1: That's right. So when you find people who go, who who holler out, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, and yet they're not loving, they're not kind and compassionate and helpful to others, you just have to pray for them, that they will come to grasp that love is the mark of Jesus's followers. It is what other people should see in us. And it's expressed in all the ways Paul talks about, right? So Paul would take this sentence and he would, he would, in these communities, help to teach them, well, okay, here's what this means in practice. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. Be kind and compassionate and gentle. Be self-controlled. All of these components that end up creating a person who, who can love and love well. So, well, <laughs> Simon is still on the earlier question. When Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Simon is still stuck back in verse 33. Yeah, hope he heard verse 34 and 35. But he's stuck back in verse 33. He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You see, this is such a good, this is such a Bible teacher point. People tend, because people want to, wow, that's my Bible falling over there. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because people want to defend the truth of Scripture, they, too many of us tend to read it to, literally It comes out of a good motive, but it can lead you to bad places in terms of understanding scripture and hearing Jesus well. And you see what is Peter what is Peter doing right now? He is being very literal. Where are you going? Are you going to Capernaum? Are you going across the Jordan River somewhere? Where are you going? I'm going to follow you anywhere. Just tell me where you're headed. I'm Baby, I am, I am there with you. He's, he's being overly literal. He isn't grasping that Jesus is talking at a, at, a, at a higher level. Because, of course, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about his death, his life after death, his resurrection. That's what he's talking about. They will follow him at some point. They will That will be their own path. They will all die. We will all die unless Jesus comes back first. But Peter's being overly literal. Which, and it happens time and again in the Bible. Time and again with Jesus. They're overly literal. And it, it keeps them from hearing Jesus well. And sometimes when we are overly literal with Scripture, it keeps us from hearing it well. So, Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, and I think he looks him right in the eye, and he drops his voice, and he speaks quietly. he says, would you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, amen, amen, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And I don't know why the translators here put an exclamation point on the end. I don't think that's how Jesus would say it at all. I think he would say it quietly and and send the words right into Peter's heart. Before the rooster, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Okay, well, that's quite a little section there, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is.
1: There's a lot there.
0: Yes, it is. And yet it's a section we all know well, but just probably never take the time to actually. We know the pieces, you see,
1: but we don't really tie them all together. That Jesus is telling Peter he's going to disown him three times, follows right on the heels. Of, of the love commandment, yes, as it's sometimes called. Okay, so just just to tie things together, when you get to the very end of John's Gospel, Jesus is going to ask Peter, this is at the very end, ask Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter's going to say, yes, you know I do, three times bringing it right back here to this moment when Jesus expresses to them the love commandment, we might call it, and tells Peter, you're going to disown me three times before the cock crows. So, these Gospels are not just, sometimes we approach them as if they were like, you know, just dry accounts, dry objective accounts like we might find in the Dallas Morning News. They are not that. They are composed and they are written by these, by these people, to, so that we could come to know Jesus, so that we could come to hear the good news. They are proclamations; they are not dry accounts of events, just sort of strung together and and written on a page. Not at all. All right. So, anything else, Patty, before you go on to chapter fourteen?
0: No, but I, I just really, that just really touched me what you just said because you really do we have a real story it is not like some of the other um, major religions in the world that have more or less facts and ways to achieve things and whatever we have this cohesive story
1: I mean, you know, I've said many times, you know, if you if everybody lived by Confucius' teachings, we'd probably have a lot happier people. Right. But nobody does, not really. Right. The problem isn't knowing better ways to live. The problem is we don't do it. And this is the story of our God, the Creator God, doing for us what we will not do for ourselves.
0: And actually showing us by doing it himself i mean
1: cuz it's, it's not it's not like an it's not an crazy, essay right right it's this is this is god doing things and john an saying look what god has done in yes. jesus
0: yes this is the example we need to follow it's it really is it's, it is something
1: and even beyond the example we need to follow this is what god has done because you won't follow the example exactly that's the key the exactly. key is to grasp that 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 Jesus has done for us what we are unwilling to do for ourselves. So, he, he, yes, he's a good example, but the world did not need another example. There are, there are good examples over the course of human history about better ways to live. But they don't work. Utopian societies and communities have always failed. Because of why? Because of sin because of original sin, So, to go to John chapter 1, what does John the baptizer say when he sees Jesus coming down the riverbank? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, which is something we just can't do. We can't do. We have to have a rescuer. And John knew that that rescuer was Jesus, God. So, okay. Getting wound up, ready to ready to find a pulpit somewhere. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 14, verse 1. So now Jesus says, because okay, so wh- do not let your hearts be troubled. Why would their hearts be troubled? Well, gosh, I guess because <laughs> Jesus has said he's gonna be betrayed. It's Judas. He said where he's going, they can't follow. He's told Peter that Peter's going to deny him three times before the cock crows, so the room is in mental and emotional turmoil, I would guess. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust God. That's that pistis word under there. You trust God, trust me. Right? You put your faith in God, put your faith in me. What is Jesus referring to when he says he's going to come back? Well, I'm a simple man. It is his second coming. There are, there are those who study John and say, no, no, he's talking about his resurrection. No, he's not talking about what's going to happen on Sunday. No. He's talking about the fully consummated kingdom of God. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. He is talking about His return. Because that is where His disciples will go. But but not yet. Right? Because they still will have lives to lead until they, in turn, are martyred. But, verse 4, Jesus says, You know the way to the place where I am going, and Thomas probably shaking his head, overwhelmed, says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas is being overly literal. And Jesus answered, Boom, I am the way and the truth, and the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is not simply the bridge to the way. He's not simply part of the path. He is the way. He is the truth. In Him is life. That's the six of the seven I am statements. I have a slide for this. I only brought one slide today. Didn't need many. Here we go. This is the one I've had a few times listing the seven famous I am statements. Okay, this is the sixth. Next chapter, we will come to the seventh. I am the way, the truth, the life. So, he he, he isn't, he isn't, um, well, <laughs> he is the way. He's the whole intilada. The way, he is the the truth, he is the life. There you go. No one, he says, comes to the Father except through me. Why would he say that? Because he, Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life. He is God. There is one God. The triune God, who, yes exists in three persons father Son and Holy Spirit but they are of one substance one beingness and he shares that beingness with the father and the Holy Spirit so of course of course you this is what the world doesn't get you can't expect Christians to say, well, yeah, Jesus is one choice among many. No, if you want to talk about God, you have to talk about Jesus. He is God. And you could say, well, you Christians get this wrong. Well, sure, we could. Could be wrong about all of this. I get that. But the way it works, the way the whole thing hangs together and works is right here. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Ah! Their heads are exploding around the room. You know, they're probably exploding and oblivious at the same time. What is he talking about? These are radically monotheistic Jews. For them, there is a bright line between God and His creation. It's not like the Eastern religions, you don't get that. There is no bright line between the Creator God and His creation. All there is, really, is the divinity called creation. But for the Jews, there's this bright line between the one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God's creation. And people who walk the planet and talk and chew and eat and go to the bathroom and all that other stuff, they're creatures. They're not God, this bright line. But you see, Jesus spans that line. And of course, it's mind blowing, of course it is. I was just um, reminded of something the other day there was a tweet sent out by um, Timothy Keller up at Redeemer Presbyterian in Manhattan, who is battling pancreatic cancer and has been for a while. And he, he's a pretty active tweeter in the world. Um, and he said something very similar to what I had read from a non-Christian, but a good historian, I guess, that that the greatest evidence for the truth of Christianity is the existence of Christianity. Because if, if it isn't true, where did it come from? How would these radically monotheistic Jews ever start worshipping this man called Jesus? Within 5, 10, 15 years, you can see it. You can see it in John's in, in Paul's early letters that are only like, they be, the first ones are like 20 years after the fact. No, it's, it is true. It is true. And the truth of it explains how it could exist because it's just so, it's just so wild. We get We get domesticated. We get used to hearing it. If you really know me, Jesus says, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip, Philip then says, well, Lord, show us the father and that'll be enough for us. Like, I don't know what does he want. What does he want? Like a hologram or something in the room? What's he saying? I don't know that he knows what he's saying. (laughs) Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Remember, Philip is right at the beginning of the gospel. Philip is one of the disciples. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. (sighs) Dot, dot, dot. I've tried to get you guys just to believe the things I tell you. Or at least to go on in the verse. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. At least believe on the evidence of what you've seen me do. Somehow you need to understand what's happening here. That's the gist of it. Back to the very first verse of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh. And he wants the disciples to grasp the enormity of what is happening, the enormity of who Jesus is. Verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts me in this, will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things things than these because I am going to the Father. That might be a little bit of a head-scratcher, but we'll see how that works out over the next, today and next week. Right? The Father, Jesus, the disciples, we are all bound together. We're all bound together. Um... I don't, I don't want to jump ahead, so I'm just going to stop right there, because otherwise I'm going to, oh, we're going to get into something I want to talk about next week in the context of where we are in Jesus' discourse here. Verse 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Right? So that people will understand that what Jesus does is the glory of God. It reveals the nature of who God is. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Okay, so few things here, look at it closely. It helps to read these things closely. In my name, he repeats twice, in my name. That does not mean simply saying the word Jesus. It doesn't even mean thinking of Jesus. It means embedding yourself in Jesus' life his love his sense of purpose so that Jesus's will and our will will be aligned so that we will desire what Jesus desires right it it that's what it that's what he means by doing it in my name Remember, that this whole name business is so confusing to us because names for us are just labels. They are not just labels in the ancient world. In the ancient world, they convey power and authority when you give them to somebody. Because now you've given something to somebody that they have, what, on you, over you, like we're Telling somebody a social social security number in our world would do the same thing. In my name, in my life, in my love, and in my sense of purpose. It is like the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus prays, what does he pray for? He prays for another way forward. (laughs) Because no... No fool wants to get crucified. He is human. He doesn't want to get crucified. That was the worst worst death the Romans could dish out. But he is going to align himself with God's will, even if that means the cross. And it does. So, what we have to do is strive to align ourselves as best we can with God's will. And don't hold back. Pray. Pray for what you want. Pray that you will be living within and praying within God's will. And notice here in this verse that Jesus ends it saying you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it see we, we we tend to and I I get this completely we we tend to chop God up into pieces like what like a pie okay you can you could chop a pie into three pieces and you could call one the Father and one the Son and one the Holy Spirit. But you would be wrong. That is not the way to understand God. They aren't three different pieces of the same pie. There is one, because if they were, there would be three gods. There is one God, one substance that they share. They share will. They share purpose. The second person becomes incarnate for the sake of the world. And it's why Paul will refer to the Holy Spirit as what? As the Spirit of Christ. It's one of the names of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ. Yes, because there is one God. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's one God. It's, you know, and yeah, I've got a new book. I always have, you know, The my problem is in life, I add three new books for every one I make any headway in at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this one is called... Simply Trinity, and it's written by a young man, young theologian, and pastor, I think, who wants to resurrect the traditional teachings about the Trinity. His point is, what he believes is that a lot of problems that American Christianity has today stem from what he calls Trinity Drift. And that if we put ourselves firmly within the traditions of the church and the theology of the church over 2,000 years of Christians thinking and writing and about all of this biblically, um, that we would put ourselves on much firmer on a much firmer foundation. So anyway, it's one of the books on my shelf, simply Trinity, and. We just for for now our purpose, our hope, my hope is that we will resist the temptation to chop God up into pieces. Because that isn't what Jesus is doing. He's he's helping the disciples grasp that well, I, I take his words, just I and the Father are one. When you see me, you've seen the Father. Boom. There. Laid right there in the room. Wow. Okay. So, any thoughts about all of that?
0: No. Brenda just put something that, like, <laughs> maybe after you read that Trinity, um, you could do a class on it. I yeah. Guess if it um, yeah.
1: I'm thinking about, on Sunday morning, doing a more theologically focused series after um, we finish this God is series which is very biblically focused going through the Bible then turning into what, what sort of theology do we find emerges from the pages of scripture maybe something like that maybe so Brenda, I don't know I haven't read enough of the book to really know if it's suitable for that but we'll see okay is Matthew well Oh, it's somewhere in here. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I don't know where my copy is. How's that? I don't even know where my copy is. I'll, I'll take a bit. Yeah, Matthew Barrett. I think that is the guy's name who uh, who wrote it. That's what Susan's looking asking. Yeah, probably is Matthew Barrett. Um, that that rings a bell. Let's just call it. The title is simply Trinity. So Patty's looking for it, but my office is a big mess. I, like I said, I put three books on the stack for every one that I even hardly hardly get to. So, anyway, okay. So, verse 15. Now. Here's the book. Here's the book. Okay. Very good. Very good. I, I, I'm not recommending this book, you understand, because I'm only like that far <laughs> into it. Just enough to understand what his goal is. The name is Matthew Barrett, Simply Trinity. It's probably good, you know. Several Christians have recommended it on on the web, but we'll see, we'll see.
0: What does it say right underneath the Simply Trinity? The
1: unmanipulated Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His Mm. point is that Christians, you know, the American church is largely, in a way, taking God apart to use those parts for our purposes. And we need to recover the orthodox teachings of the Trinity, which is where I live. I live in I live in Christian Orthodoxy. I live in the tradition of the last two thousand years, striving to find the center of the river of Christian Orthodoxy. You know, everything isn't about all the new stuff that you might possibly think up about this and that. Um, We need to listen to those who have come before as we ourselves wrestle with these scriptures. And they are certainly, there's a lot to wrestle with here, isn't there? So Jesus goes on. I got more time today. It's 106. (laughs) Verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Right? Sure. Sure. Yes. Yes. You can't, you can't claim to have put your faith in Jesus, to love Jesus and then imagine that how you live doesn't matter. That's a mistake big segments of Protestantism makes because we do understand that we are saved by the grace of God, but they imagine that we, what we do doesn't matter and it's just wrong. Of course it matters. I believe Paul says if you genuinely come to faith in Christ, you will, have, you will have the fruit of the Spirit. You will have something to show for it. You can't come to Jesus and then say, Well, okay, I love Jesus. Back to the party. Not that there's anything wrong with parties. I get that. But you get my drift. If you love me, Jesus says in verse 15, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate. The, the paraclete. It's just a, a, it's a word you hear now and then. The paraclete is the Holy Spirit. The word here. The paraclete. Um, and paraclete is simply taken directly from the Greek into English. Translated in various ways by different translators. And I think the different ways to do that are all helpful. Advocate. Counselor, comforter, those are all ways people who have done this. So Jesus says, if you love me, keep, keep my commands. You're right, be my disciples is another way he could say that because that's what disciples do. We, we do keep Jesus' commands as best we can. And we help one another keep Jesus' commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. Well, okay. Okay. So Jesus has said what? I'm going. You can't follow. The disciples are going, well, where are you going? Man, I'll follow you. in. No, where I'm going, you can't follow. But I'll prepare a room there for you. One day you will be with me. but not now. And when I leave, I will ask the Father to send another, the Advocate, the Counselor, the Comforter, the Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. And the Holy Spirit God's empowering presence has an advantage over the incarnate Jesus. The advantage that the Holy Spirit has working in this world and working with the disciples is that the Holy Spirit is not bound by time, by space, and place because the Holy Spirit does not have a body. Jesus does. He can only be in one place at one time. When he's talking to the disciples here, he can't be anyplace else. But they are not going to be left adrift. They're not going to be left alone. They're not going to be left to do these things that he's been talking about just because, just on the basis of their own power or strength. No, that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is Jesus is going to leave after he is resurrected. He returns to the Father. But then, on and he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait. And on Pentecost, the Spirit arrives. The Spirit arrives. And dances from person to person and the believers are, are, are... The Holy Spirit dwells in the believers. And the whole thing begins with Peter standing up and preaching as so many could never preach. It begins with the disciples proclaiming the good news in languages they couldn't possibly know. God is with them. God is in them. They're not God the way Jesus is God. There isn't some spark of the divine in the disciples because God is with them or because the Spirit dwells in them. The Spirit dwelt in the temple for, you know, a thousand years. I didn't mean the temple was God, but the Spirit of God will now make His home in the believers and in the community of believers called the church. That's what Jesus is talking about. So there's really, if you only had John's Gospel, you might be, pretty confused by what he's talking about here. But we don't only have have John's gospel. We have all the rest of it. So now we understand what he, we know what he's talking about. So he says, I will ask in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now the world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Right? It is largely a disbelieving world, then, now. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. (laughs) How does Jesus come to them? Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. You're right, that's just kind of mind-bending I know, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. You know, it's it's very easy. Sometimes it's hard to know how to use verb tenses, right? It's very easy to find yourself referring to Jesus in the past tense. Gotta, gotta resist that. Gotta talk about Jesus in the present tense, because he lives. There's a great gospel song from the last 40 years called, He, he lives. lives. Because he lives, right? Jesus lives. When we talk about Jesus, it's not like we're talking about Napoleon or George Washington, who were big but died, and are now dead, dead, and dead. When we come to Jesus, we're talking about someone who lives now. So, in any event, I do now see that it is about time to wrap up, so I think we'll stop right there. We'll just pick up there next week in this uh, introduction of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And, okay, Patty's wanting me to move around a little bit here. There we go. There we go. Very good. Good class, honey. Thank you, darling.
0: Yeah. So um, thank you all for being here with us today. I do have two prayer requests, please. Um, I happened to see on Facebook yesterday that Susan Roy, who is always in the Tuesday class when when we're in person, and many, many times she's with us when we're online, she had a really bad fall at Cinemark. Um, I think she's okay. I don't think anything's broken, but... She really had she banged herself a hard up a fall lot. on her face. And so if we could just keep her in prayer that, you know, God will quickly heal her. I'm sure right. it's painful. And um, just a lesson to all of us. I said to Scott yesterday, I know sometimes we're all just, we're always in a hurry, no matter what we're doing. And I don't know if this was her case, but... We just need to we are getting older we don't want to admit it but we are we just need to be a little bit more careful right how we are moving around so you're telling me
1: all the time yes
0: i and i do too you know um the second prayer is for candy and mike sims and candy is always listening um, on Tuesdays to our class. They're part of our class for a long time, but they moved a little bit east of Dallas and it's too long of a drive for them to come. We've been praying for Mike, who had to have heart surgery a couple weeks ago, and he had some complications but was finally able to go home, and now he's got additional complications that have put him back in the hospital. So please pray um, for Mike that the doctors are able to fix him. He has some water in his lungs and around his heart, and Um, that is Candy's prayer request and we love them and, um, just praying that the doctors will be able to do all the miraculous things they do and get Mike back home again. So please join me as we close. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, God, today for this beautiful February day. We thank you, God, for holding this group together truly for nearly two years. We are so grateful, Lord, for the gift of your Son, and sometimes, Lord, I I do forget this myself, to thank you so much for the gift of your ever-present Holy Spirit that's with us every day in everything that we do. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would keep this group close to each other. We pray, God, that you would watch over us, our family, our friends. We pray, God, you'd keep us healthy and safe We pray, God, for all of those that are still dealing with COVID, and we pray, God, just an end soon to this pandemic and for our lives to become a little bit more normal. Again, we love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for your presence in our lives. It's in the name of your risen Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Okay, everybody. Adios. See you on Sunday. Enjoy what is shaping up to be a lovely week out there. It is. It is. absolutely. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.